Thanks to you, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality with Apple Podcasts. Please help us reach more listeners in 2024 by making a year-end gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. The Advent hymn, Hark, a Thrilling Voice, is sounding. We stay with John the Baptist in the Advent season. Going into the third Sunday in Advent, we go to John, the Gospel writer's testimony about John, and he says there was a man sent from God. It's just as though John the Baptist steps out of heaven, so to speak. But, of course, we know of his origins and we know of his end. So what will we find in the evangelist John's testimony and John the Baptist's testimony? Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to the Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be back, Todd. You say that there's a different side of John the Baptist presented in the gospel reading for today. What do you mean? Well, we have definitely have heard about his fiery preaching, that he's preaching repentance in particular. That's what he's known for most. It's what our preface each Sunday is saying, that he's calling sinners to repentance to escape the wrath that is coming. But today we're going to hear him especially preparing the way for the Savior by pointing to him by directing us away from himself and away from ourselves, too, toward Jesus. This is his duty as the forerunner of Christ, the one who identifies, who points that Jesus is this Savior. And I think that's important for us to recognize in the teaching of repentance in the Bible and in our church, that repentance sometimes is used in a narrow sense where it means to confess your sins, to acknowledge it, to consider yourselves. And that can be a very introspective matter to consider your own heart, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. This is a godly exercise for every Christian to undertake daily, but that's not where it ends. And in fact, the whole purpose of this is not to become self-absorbed with our sins instead of maybe with our successes, but it is to recognize our sins so that we will be eager to look for and to receive Christ Jesus and his forgiveness. This then is the kind of twofold preparatory work that John the Baptist has. What connecting themes should we be looking for in the propers for the third Sunday in Advent? Well, if we had law last Sunday, we have gospel coming up today, this Sunday. And so we're going to hear especially about the Lord's righteousness and his salvation appearing to us. We're going to hear about it appearing in his word. If you're trying to figure out which of the Sundays in Advent correspond to the three different comings of Christ, in my mind, this one probably has most to do with his coming now in our time in his word and his sacraments. 
but also it's going to be his coming in the sight of the nations. Just listen in the background, especially in our Old Testament readings and portions of the Psalter. We're going to see that everything that Israel is receiving, their rescue, their redemption, their restoration by the coming of the Messiah, is going to be in the sight openly before the nations. Not so that the nations will be just utterly crushed by it, but in fact that they will see and rejoice also, that they will come to Israel to come to the Lord himself and join in with them to be brought into the worship of this true God and his Messiah. In a sense, we already have a foreshadowing shadowing of what we recognize as a clear theme in Epiphany, that the Lord is in fact here, not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. This is also the Sunday of the pink candle on the Advent wreath. What is that about? That's right. So often it's either blue or violet candles, and then there might be one that is pink or the liturgical color is rose. Where does this belong? It always belongs on the third Sunday. Some have said it really probably fits better with the old lectionary, but you can see that the way the new lectionary is styled is very imitative of this. And this is a Sunday that was just hard to leave behind, Gaudete Sunday, which means it's the Latin word for rejoice. And we'll see when we get to our epistle reading that, in fact, we still have the message of joy and rejoicing at the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's perfectly fine. And uh, this would be the Sunday if you've got a rose candle to light it up. The intro it for this coming Sunday, Psalm 85. Yeah. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. So we had some of this last week, actually, because Psalm 85 was appointed as the psalm of the day. We get to hear very little today about the plight of Israel in the psalm, which is somewhat actually on the mind of our Old Testament reading we're about to come to. And instead, we focus on those portions of Psalm 85 that uh, focus on the Lord and his salvation. So his drawing near, his speaking of peace to us, his rescuing us out of our folly so that we wouldn't fall back into it, and that he gives his increase and his goodness. You can see some kind of agricultural metaphors going on. So it's about the restoration, not so much the plight of Israel. God brings his steadfast love to us in Christ's incarnation. So this prayer is absolutely gearing us up for the celebration of Christmas. Uh, but all of this also prepares us for that other side of John's preaching that we're here today. In a sense, it puts us in the mindset of the Israelites in their faithfulness, not in their distress or in their falling away, or even in their recognition of how they've fallen away, but looking forward, genuinely being eager for our Lord's coming. Certainly those who were eager to hear John's preaching were eager because they knew he was pointing to the Savior who is to come. So John then is the last prophet and is acting exactly as we see the Old Testament prophets, preaching both doom, calls to repentance, return to the Lord your God, but also that the Lord will restore them and will bring their salvation in the coming Messiah. What is the collect? 
We pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you to hear our prayers and to lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. This collect, traditional for this Sunday, looks like it may have been drawn from Zechariah's song, The Benedictus, at the beginning of Luke, where it talks about how Christ is the day spring from on high, visiting his people, giving light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. What kind of light are we talking about? Well, both that he enlightens the spirits of Israel, those who are awaiting their Savior, perhaps they're bowed down under oppression, awaiting deliverance from that. But as we see in the preaching of Jesus, those who recognize that their sins are the real cause and the real source of their suffering, the threatening peril, as we heard on the first Sunday in Advent, the Lord comes to light in that darkness as well. And also, that the Lord is coming to enlighten the Gentiles who largely are lost in error and false teaching. Now, it has a wonderful side benefit here in the Northern Hemisphere, where our Christian heritage grew for so many centuries now, uh, that our days are getting darker and darker and uh, daylight savings time and all of the switching of the clocks probably doesn't help. It's increasingly dark. The days are short. And maybe for some, it just makes your attitude feel the same way as all of the busyness and the politics and other things going on can make us be down, be in the dark dumps. Well, for us, the darkness of our hearts is always our sorrows and the sins that cling so closely to us, our weakness, even in this world. Well, the Lord's gracious visitation is in the flesh. He comes in his incarnation to accomplish our salvation, to accomplish what is necessary to deliver us from these very things, to bring us into eternal life. And also, he enlightens us when he comes to us in his word and in his sacraments all the time, in his church, when we're sharing the word of God with one another, when we're listening to great things like this, that he would encourage us, that he would convince us of his righteousness by the Spirit, as Jesus teaches in John chapter 16. And at last, that he would deliver us from all evil. These are the things for which we are praying, the prayers that we want him to hear. And I think in a sense, this prayer lays out exactly what we've learned from the Catechism about Luther's explanation of the Lord's Prayer. All of it is summed up with deliver us from evil, and that this truly is what we are praying for. And how does the Lord deliver us from evil? Well, he takes away our sins in Christ Jesus, and he gives us the promise and certainty of eternal life at the last day. So all of our prayers really are answered in the gracious visitation of Jesus Christ. So that's why we end all of our prayers in the Lord's name, because he is the answer to all of our prayers. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We'll be in the Old Testament reading in Isaiah 61 for the third Sunday in Advent, according to the three-year lectionary, next. week on the word of the lord endures forever we continue in the prophet micah with prophets denounced the mountain of the lord's house the lord of the whole earth O little town of bethlehem and a remnant delivered join me pastor will whedon for the word of the lord endures forever your daily 15 minute verse by verse bible study on demand listen at the wordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider
How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest issues, etc., a journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Grace, faith, scripture, and Christ alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Jesus walked with his disciples to Emmaus, they had lost hope. But he opened the scriptures, broke bread, and gave it to them, and they knew him. At Emmaus Lutheran Church in Redmond, Oregon, Jesus repeats this miracle every Sunday. He makes himself known among us in preaching and the sacrament of his body and turns our sorrow to joy. Join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9 and visit our website, www.emmauslcms.org. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Luther Academy hosted a conference earlier this month in Venezuela. Luther Academy serves Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth. Learn how to support the worldwide mission work of Luther Academy at lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the third Sunday in Advent with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, the Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. 
This text from Isaiah 61 omits a part about foreigners becoming the laborers in Israel and that Israel will be a whole nation of priests and that the Lord is going to give them a double portion of honor and joy. Uh, I think it would have been fine to include that as well. But it's important to recognize in the portions we have that the voice changes in here a few times. So initially, we have somebody speaking about the spirit of the Lord coming upon them. And then eventually, we hear him quoting what the Lord is going to do, what his message and his mission are to accomplish. And then we have the Lord himself speaking about how he is going to faithfully make an everlasting covenant with his people. And then we have a song that breaks out in verse 10. So like many of the Psalms, we need to just be aware of who's speaking as the voice changes without warning. The first person who is speaking is quite clear to us. This is Jesus Christ already speaking prophetically, even in the words of Isaiah. In fact, this is what Jesus himself reads in the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. And he says that today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, that he is the anointed one. The spirit of the Lord is upon him, anointing him to bring good news or to bring the gospel to the poor, to bind up, to help all of these people. It's interesting. This is also what Jesus says to John the Baptist, which is actually the traditional third Sunday gospel reading for this Sunday. When John is in prison and sends his disciples to ask, are you the Christ or not? Jesus says, well, look what you see. Is not Isaiah 61 being fulfilled, at least in every way except for releasing the captives? That's John who's in prison. And the answer, of course, is yes, Christ has come. He is the anointed one. We can see this by what he's doing. Interesting that it mentions the day of vengeance. Now, that sounds like the last day we're used to. That sounds like what we expect from prophets. Uh, but then right when it couches that day of vengeance, it speaks about how it's no day of vengeance for the people of Israel. It's a day when he will make an everlasting covenant with them. It's a day when uh, they will become like oaks. Uh, all the morning will be comforted and the Lord himself will be glorified. All of this is done, see, in the presence of the nations so that they would extol the God of Israel also. This is the sense that we should have when we think about the nation of Israel being a chosen people by God or having primacy among all the nations and peoples of the world. It was in this sense that uh, not that they were to be self-aggrandizing, that they're so wonderful, that's why God had to just set them apart, but rather the Lord has set them apart with the express purpose that he would lead them and the rest of the world back to himself. So in Christ, truly, as we've seen so many times, all of the prophecies about Israel, period, come to fulfillment. In Christ himself, we see Israel drawing all nations to himself. No surprise, because it is for his name's sake that he chose Israel, or as it says here, all so that he may be glorified. Lastly, a song begins, I mentioned, in verse 10. I'll greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Perfect for this third Sunday in Advent, the Rejoice Sunday. I do wonder if this is somehow connected with the Roman Catholic Church, who actually uses this as the intro for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception of Mary. Not something that a Lutheran would be celebrating, but that is on December 8th. But I think if we look at the text, we'll find 
that it supports really what the rest of the scriptures say, not speaking about Mary as an immaculately conceived person, but speaking about the bride who is the church herself and the groom who is Christ, that Christ is coming to clothe us with the garments of salvation, garments that he has won by his blood, that he imputes to us, right? He lays this robe of righteousness upon us. It's given freely from him. And then we have something familiar, like we heard last week from Psalm 85 in its fullness about the ground producing and the Lord giving the seed. And I think it's quite clear here who is to be considered responsible for this. It's not the ground that rises up to meet God halfway. It's not the ground that is filled with grace sufficient to respond to the Lord's expectations of righteousness or to make use of what he started but rather it is his full and free gift, his seed, his causing of this to happen, his full and his free gift to do it. Just like setting loose the captives, just like proclaiming that good news that the Spirit has anointed him to do. The psalm for this Sunday is 126. From the Psalms of Ascent. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weeps bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. So Psalm 85 spoke about the Lord's restoration and all of the cries that he would restore us again. Psalm 126 speaks in the same way, but perhaps a little stronger. Now, it could be that this psalm is spoken after all of this has happened, or maybe after one rescuing and then looking for a future rescuing. But it seems very likely that the first portion of the psalm is actually said before it happens. So this is imagining and envisioning all of the thens that will happen once the Lord has given his restoration. So the thens are actually yet to come. Then we were filled with laughter. This is how it will be when the Lord restores us. And you see in the center of this, again, the heathen are going to see this and say, what? Not, I'm jealous. Not, we should double our efforts to destroy them, they're going to see it and say, you know what, the Lord, their God has done this for them, and it will lead them to approach the Lord. Thus, the people of Israel take up the call too and say, that's right, the Lord has done this for us. This metaphor is pretty beautiful and probably well known about tears, sowing in tears and reaping joy later. There's a bit of an irrigation theme here for a great harvest. So just as the river overflows and brings its water, we're envisioning the tears of a suffering Christian to likewise be like a sort of water that the Lord is going to bring to fruition later on. That's what it means to say we sow in great sufferings and great difficulties we sow in tears, but in due time we will reap with joy all of the Lord's promises. And again, in the presence of the nations, the Lord does this so that they may see also and join in with Israel. Like we heard last Sunday, let all flesh see what the Lord has done. We'll be in the epistle reading in First Thessalonians 5 with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship 
Harper, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary next. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December uses detailed illustrations and rhyming text to tell the story of Jesus' birth. It's titled, N is for Nativity. This new hardcover children's book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about N is for Nativity at issuesetc.org. Use the ABCs from Advent to Zion to teach your children and grandchildren the Christmas story with N is for Nativity. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. With the oldest deaconess program of the LCMS, Concordia University Chicago has fully certified young women for the deaconess vocation for more than 40 years. I'm Deaconess Kristen Wasilak, Program Director for Deaconess Studies. Help us identify the next generation of servants to care for souls, engage our communities in mercy, and teach God's Word. Learn more about Concordia Chicago's Deaconess Program today at cuchicago.edu, cuchicago.edu. Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is it hard? Yes. Will it challenge you? Absolutely. Is it a blessing from God for you and those you will serve without question? Dr. Lawrence Rast, president of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. The pastoral ministry is all of these things, and that's why Concordia Theological Seminary exists to form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Men from all over the world with a variety of unique backgrounds come to our campus to receive faithful training that will equip them for the challenging but blessed work of serving as pastors in Christ's church. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Christ-Centered Worship, Confessional Theology, Lutheran Community, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Sean, the epistle reading is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-24. What do we find there? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. So there you see it. Rejoice in the Lord always from Philippians shows up also here at the end of First Thessalonians for this Rejoice Sunday in Advent. In a way, then, we're also picking up kind of and finishing out First Thessalonians, which we had as a continuous reading, you remember, at the end of last church year, the end of year A. And we hear from Paul in a number of very kind of rapid-fire statements and exhortations that the will of God in Christ for us includes all of these things. It includes continual prayer to him for whatever it is that we need and thanksgiving to him for every situation and for all of his many benefits. So you see from this that we're not to be detached from God in any way, but rather to be held close to him always because we are constantly asking him, because we're constantly acknowledging his care. And the reason for this is because he is our source of joy. So the goal is not just to have a church that's happy or that we would be happy all the time, but that we would have joy in Christ Jesus, in his salvation, in his word and the certainty that he gives to have a Savior and a Lord who loves us, who has steadfast love, in fact, and who clothes us like a bride with his righteousness that this then would be what would make us confident, joyful, steadfast in the midst of all adversities, whatever comes to us. The Spirit's testimony in the early church through miraculous prophecy, which is somewhat referenced here, notice, is not simply to be accepted without any sort of skepticism at all. Perhaps we're not facing quite the same pressures for kind of a Pentecostalism as we were in a couple previous decades. But nevertheless, we have right here from the very beginning of the church, Paul's warning that they ought to discern. The touchstone of testing is the scriptures itself, just as it is now. And in fact, as we see the rest of Paul's teaching here in this very short section, we see that the Spirit's task is the very same one that we find when Jesus teaches about the Spirit's task in John's gospel. It is to proclaim peace in Jesus Christ. It is to proclaim and announce and convince us of the righteousness of Christ Jesus that is ours, that robe of righteousness, as we heard about in the Old Testament reading. It is to convince us of his faithfulness on the basis of which then we can put our trust in him as well. His calling, and in fact, his doing as it ends, because he is faithful and he's called us, he will surely do it and see it through to the end. This is the confidence that faith has in Christ, that those whom he calls, he sanctifies. He also preserves in this faith our whole life through. Now, all of this, I think, is a marvelous prep for what we're about to hear in the gospel reading. We're about to hear John the Baptist 
I'm going to call it a trial, right? We're even going to have the language of him being a witness and giving a testimony. And uh, we see that he is being challenged by men coming from the Pharisees, priests and Levites who are inquiring of John, what's going on? We have to give answer to the people who sent us. So how is he going to handle this trial when he is tested to see if he is a true prophet? Well, he's going to pass in this way. He's going to show the touchstone of Holy Scripture by calling upon Isaiah's comments about him. He's going to show that all of his teaching is is to abstain from evil, is concerned with not papering over sin, but confessing it rightly and repenting of it and being forgiven, as we heard last Sunday. But above all, and this is what is unique to this Sunday and, and very important for us to see, he is testifying to Christ in all things, which by its very fact means he is pointing away from himself. What are the gradual and the verse? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. I think this Sunday that central verse again that he comes righteous and having salvation is probably at the forefront of our thoughts as we consider who Jesus is, as we consider what especially his Old Testament prophecies are saying about him. Then we come to the Alleluia verse, which is drawn from Matthew's gospel. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Now the you that is being spoken here is actually Christ. He's going to prepare Christ's way before him. The I who is doing the sending is the Father, and the messenger, as we'll see, is John the Baptist. This is the very quote that John is also citing in the gospel that we're about to read now. That gospel reading is John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 and 19 through 28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. We have a split reading here, a lectionary special, some people call it. But it shouldn't distress our listener too much. This is the better and more traditional practice, which isn't to skip over parts that we maybe don't feel comfortable hearing in the Bible, but rather to add some context. So we're going to hear this testimony of John. 
we want to hear where that testimony starts or is referenced. We see this often when there's a speech like Stephen's speech or Peter's speech on Pentecost, and we maybe just want to hear the end of it, but we want to start where he stands up and speaks. So here we're not going to steal everything from John chapter 1. That's Christmas Day's reading, and we want to wait to hear about the word that was made flesh, that in the beginning was the word with God and was God. But we want to hear this portion where John the Evangelist weaves John the Baptist into his testimony about God's advent in Christ. And he wants to make the point when he's talking about Jesus the Word, he wants to make the point that John was not the light himself or the Word himself. He was only a voice testifying to that Word and light, Jesus Christ, which is a great setup then for when we hear John himself talk about himself. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to say anything about himself. He certainly is making it clear that he is not the light or the word or the prophet or the Christ himself, but he is the one who is bearing witness to it and preparing the way for it. We see this so emphatically in his answer, right? He confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed. So powerful, I think, for us as Christians who are called on in big ways sometimes, but much more often in very small ways, in a side-glancing blow, deny the faith, or to not have the courage to stand up and confess what is true about Christ and his world and his gospel, and we just slink away in some way or slip around it. This then is a great example to us, one that should galvanize us and encourage us to see John the Baptist stand firm. We know, in fact, that he faces great threats and eventually is thrown into prison and even martyred by Herod. And nevertheless, he confesses, does not deny, but confesses. Which will lead us then, I think, in three parts to talk about who he says he is and why John is being so evasive. How does John end up answering that question, if at all? Well, his first answer that's given is, I am not the Christ, which certainly sounds like a non-answer. But it does show what really matters and that he's not it. And that really is John's mission. He is there to be the pick up to the downbeat. He's there to be the plate on which the stake is put. He's there to be not the Christ, the right before him, the just around him, the leading to him and handing him over to you, prophet. So in a real sense, it both draws our attention away from John, that he's not the one that everybody should be excited about, but at the same time, just plants the seed. You should be thinking about Christ you should be asking, who is the Christ? He's pushing them to ask this. And that's why John, when he finally does talk about himself, will only claim to be a voice. So when Jesus later will say, if you're willing to hear it, he is the Elijah that is promised, John says he isn't Elijah. Really good question and kind of a puzzle there. I think you can see, one, they're not speaking in the same room when they say these things, although John does say that there's one among you, and we don't know how much space in time is between our text today and the very next verse in the gospel. But I think this is it. Certainly it's true, literally, that John the Baptist is not Elijah reincarnated or raised from the dead or returned from uh, eternal life. 
and perhaps that's all he means. There, there is that prophecy about Elijah who is to come. People might know kind of popularly that often at Passover, an extra seat is set at the table in Jewish communities, supposedly in case Elijah shows up. I'm not sure if that was being practiced at this time. Very clear that John is not claiming to be Elijah in the flesh, raised from the dead. But it also fits with his other more famous statement that I must decrease and Christ, he, must increase, which is a way of saying that it's always about downplaying John so that Jesus will be the one that we fix our eyes and our attention on. And I think this is a way of doing this, saying, if you're looking for Elijah the prophet as some kind of figure who's going to come and do it himself, that's more than I'm willing to claim for myself. Jesus, when he says, if he's Elijah, is who is to come, Jesus is making it very clear that this is Elijah, not in his destroy the enemies, defeat the prophets of Baal mode, uh, but that it's Elijah coming to prepare the way for what comes next. That is absolutely the role that John has, and Jesus is the one he wants to point to. I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. Our letter G is Gabriel, a special angel who brought news to Zachariah and the Virgin Mary too. H is for King Herod, a cruel and evil man whose plot to harm the newborn babe could not destroy God's plan. From the Issues Etc., Book of the Month for December, a children's book, ages 5 through 8. N is for Nativity Christmas. From A to Z, you'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order N is for Nativity, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. We'll talk about John as the prophet next. Thanks to you, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality with Apple Podcasts. Please help us reach more listeners in 2024 by making a year-end gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening. And thanks for your support. Our children are always a blessing to us, but not only are we blessed by them, but we have opportunities to bless them as well. Pastor Christopher Nuttleman, in the December issue of The Lutheran Witness, takes up the topic of blessing your children, how to bless them in your home with the Word of God and prayer. To learn more, pick up your copy of the December issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org slash witness to subscribe or visit witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Sanctifying your commute with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Husband, wife, daughter, son, grandchildren, godchildren, pastor, the kids at church, basically everyone of your Christian loved ones is catered for at Ad Crucem. 
We are the place to go for all your Christmas purchases. Stock up on our amazing Christmas cards, Christmons, Christmas ornaments, unique Christian jewellery, springly cookie moulds, gifts and much more. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Do you need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Some place where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, we were talking there about the gospel reading regarding John the Baptist. What about this notion of the prophet? The prophet, this comes from Deuteronomy 18, where Moses says that the Lord will raise up a prophet from among you, a prophet like me, and you're going to have to listen to his words, and the Lord will hold anyone to account who doesn't listen to what he has to say. And then Moses goes into the explanation of how an Israelite is to determine a true prophet from a false prophet. Anyway, this is the prophet when that statement is made. It's not just a prophet, but this is the one that Moses was talking about that we have to listen to, right? High stakes. If you don't listen to him, the Lord's going to require it of you, Moses says. And that is exactly the case with Jesus Christ. The one who won't listen to him is truly in trouble. There's where John can come to the side and, and be unimportant. His words only have an end, right? Their purpose is to lead to Jesus. But in Jesus, we have the words of eternal life, as Peter will confess later. So the prophet has to be the Messiah, and John is not going to claim that. That's who Jesus is. He's the one who will speak, as we heard in our earlier reading and and in Psalm 85. He's the one whom we hear. He's the one who is anointed with the Spirit to proclaim that good news, as the Old Testament reading said. The whole line of questioning really is about who John is. Tell us who you are. What do you say about yourself? Interesting, later in John's gospel, Jesus will dodge that question too. His reason is, I don't want to be just talking about myself because I want my father's testimony to be heard. I want you to know the scriptures. Here, John's evasion is because it's not about who he is. It's about asking, who is the Christ? Do you recognize him? Are you listening to his words as Moses told you to? Are you ready for him? as all of the prophets, including Elijah, have prepared you to be. Talk about the significance of John proclaiming Jesus to be the Lamb of God. It's the very next phrase after today's gospel reading, which I guess when I look at that, I say, oh, like, why couldn't they have just rolled the scroll a little bit more and let us hear it? I've always wondered that also in the one-year lectionary, it never shows up on a Sunday. And you would think, boy, this is a really important thing. When John points and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I was telling you about. And you would think we'd want to hear that on Sunday. So I guess maybe our listeners might be a little disappointed to see that we don't. But I want you to remember this. This is a phrase that you're right. 
is so important and such a powerful title about Christ that both tells us he's going to die, that's what a lamb is for, where he's from, that God has provided this lamb. Think about Abraham with Isaac, his son, or think about just the fact that the Lord himself is coming to redeem us and that his purpose is to take away the sins of the world, which is so clear about what his task is for the forgiveness of sins, but also that his scope of salvation is not limited to Israel or just to a few people, but it extends to the entire world. What a powerful sermon. We can't afford to just hear this one Sunday out of the church here. We sing it every single Sunday. It's part of the liturgy. Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on me, grant me peace. So in a sense, you're right, it's a bummer that we couldn't hear it in its context maybe. The reason for that is it's so important. We have to hear this absolutely every Sunday. This is part of our ordinary of our church. And I think that was a very wise decision. Whoever made that years and years and centuries ago, that we would hear John's gospel preached every single Sunday. So we've talked about his repentance being a focus here in Advent, as rightly it should be, to lead us into the church here, to be the forerunner, bringing us in to the gospel for the whole year. But what a marvelous thing that his actual preaching of the gospel itself, of pointing us to Jesus, pointing us to the forgiveness of sins, fulfilling everything that Zechariah, his father's prophecy, had said of him, that he would go before the Lord to prepare his way by giving his people knowledge of not just their sins and repentance, but also salvation by the forgiveness of their sins in that day spring who's coming. That sermon we get to hear every single week and sing it ourselves. Should the preacher make a point this coming Sunday of pointing out that John's message in that form continues? I think it'd be just fine. So uh, one, it's totally uh, acceptable to draw the rest of the scripture in to speak about the scriptures we have. Uh, That's certainly part of the reason we've taken so much time in this series, not just to look at the gospel reading only, but also at all of the other propers that are appointed for the day, is a recognition that the scripture interprets the scripture that Jesus himself was a student of the scripture and is knowledgeable of the words that he and his father have been sending to the prophets for all of these years so that he would be speaking them and referencing them constantly. And we also should not be afraid to draw the Bible in to connect across all of the books and all of the many centuries that stand between it. This is God's word, not only the word of man. So it's by no means a difficulty for them to bring that text from outside in. I think even if they didn't reference the Lamb of God, it's going to be pretty difficult to avoid that because the whole point of saying, I'm not the Christ, is to is to lead us, the hearers, to say, not, well, who are you? We got to hear more from you. I'm talking to you and interrogating you, John. But it's intended to make us say, We should be talking about the Christ, shouldn't we? Who's he? Tell me more about him. And the answer to that is the sermon that John preaches, Lamb of God. That's who he is. He takes away the sins of the world. Let's talk about a couple of the hymns that can be sung this coming Sunday, beginning with Hark a Thrilling Voice. This is the hymn Appointed, and this is an ancient hymn from the Middle Ages, often attributed to Ambrose. Maybe it actually wasn't written by him, but it's certainly in his style. 
and it's a famous Latin hymn, Vox Clara Ecce Intonat. It was the Lord's hymn. That'd be like the Matins hymn for the whole season of Advent, just like people used to sing Creator of the Stars of Night at Vespers and Savior of the Nations Come, which uh, we brought into the first Sunday of Advent. In my opinion, this hymn might match better with the themes we heard in last week's gospel about John the Baptist, specifically because it has so much emphasis on John's preaching of warning, repentance, casting away the works of darkness, and coming to one and all to be forgiven. Sounds very much like the preaching of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins that we heard about. On the other hand, this is a hymn that since it has been appointed for the whole season of Advent for so long in the church, really does bring that whole season into our view. And so it's nice maybe to keep the whole season of Advent also in view as we hone in on John's gospel message today. So that includes not just John as preaching of repentance, not just the preaching of the coming Savior, but also the final coming of judgment when he comes again in glory and the world is wrapped in fear and the hope that we have because we know he comes as our shield and our salvation. That wouldn't get much play today, but thanks to this hymn, we get to hear about it. Another hymn, just across the page in LSB, is 346, When All the World Was Cursed. And I got to say, don't let that title turn you off. It sounds like a really dark and gloomy hymn about people being cursed. But actually, it's a great and joyful hymn because in this state of being cursed, the Lord has sent his son. He sent John the Baptist to proclaim it. Moses was not the final prophet. That's the point of referencing the prophet in Deuteronomy 18. But Jesus will be the one who comes with grace and truth, as John's gospel says, to bring salvation, to be that Lamb of God that John the Baptist foretold. So I think this hymn would also fit very well today. Excellent with our gospel that it fills in that Behold the Lamb of God connection that we don't expressly hear in our gospel reading, but also because of the last stanza, which prays that we would receive with rejoicing all of the words that John proclaimed, not only the repentance, but the Savior himself and the way that he has given us, which leads all the way to eternal life, that we would rejoice in John's message. And that is certainly the theme of Advent 3 and what everyone should look forward to, the joy that we have that Christ is coming to be our Savior. Sean, you're the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Senate. If you would, in about 30 seconds, tell us about the 2024 Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music, July the 9th through the 12th at Concordia University, Nebraska. The theme is the Psalms, and we're going to focus on singing all 150 Psalms. I bet you've never done that. I bet you've never sung Psalm 119 all the way through. Come and join us collectively. We're going to do it, and uh, it's going to be a great conference gathering church musicians together with pastors and everyone else interested in proclaiming the word of Christ and having it dwell richly among us, this message of the Lamb that takes away our sins. And it's going to be a fantastic time to gather our Lutheran worshiping community together so that we can hone one another's craft, that we can grow in our camaraderie together, and that we can make sure that this song does not die, but continues to sound out brilliantly through all generations. You'll find a link to next year's Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. 
Pastor John Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you. You're very welcome. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Scott Klusendorf about the case for life. We'll discuss Jesus' teaching on discipleship with Dr. Jeff Oswald, and we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on King Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19. The voice of John the Baptist continues to ring out. He continues to herald the coming of Christ the first time and, of course, as we anxiously await Christ's second coming, his returning glory. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Hi, this is Pastor Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church of Muscoota, Illinois, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Zion is a congregation firmly grounded in God's grace given in the Word and Sacraments where we treasure the timeless beauty of the liturgy. Zion is also a vibrant, young, family-friendly congregation where you would be warmly welcomed. Zion is located at 101 South Railway Street in Muscoota, Illinois, and we would love to share God's gifts of grace with you. For more information, please visit our website at zionmuscoota.com. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season. LutheranPublicRadio.org.